The Conspiracy Podcast contains adult language, themes, sexual situations, and violence. Basically, all the good stuff. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Conspiracy Podcast, where we love talking about spooky things and murdery things and crimey things and also some conspiracy things. Like don't forget today. memes and don't and memes and emo music and politics and sparkles and lots and lots of sparkles. Sparkle baby. And sometimes the topic at hand. Anyways, hello, <laughs> hi. <laughs> I am one of your hosts. I'm Renee. Hi, hello. If if is I, Eliza Minnelli, <laughs> Lizard Minnelli, Eliza Rontarius. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> I have stopped getting Rontarius calls except for one like four days ago, and that was the last one in a while. Oh, okay, well, mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Peace. Finally, getting some peace. Yeah. And who are you? Who are you? And why are you in my basement? Who is this speaking? Who are you? I don't know. I don't know how I got here. I don't know where I came from. I'm going home. Yep, she's married We're getting existential real early tonight. Married, married it, is, to it is I, Katherine. <laughs> Katherine. Anyways, welcome back, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode. I'm so happy we haven't scared you away yet. I know. You really would think they would have all left by now. I know, but they're still here. And they're growing. Yes. <laughs> I checked the analytics because I'm an earth sign and I love data. Give me that sweet, sweet data. I just send them memes and I post on the story occasionally because mm-hmm. I'm a fire sign and I just want to have fun. <laughs> yeah. I'm just here to make friends. I'm here to make friends. I'm here to be in charge you're like of me. nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, uh, well, no, I was going to say you're like the opposite of a reality show contestant, but you're like, no, I'm here to win and make friends. Yeah, I'm here to think that we're making friends and then I will take you down. Mm. Oh, God. Not you guys, though. Not you well, I'm guys. I'm glad there's a table Damn. separating us. You guys, we've been friends for a long time. If I wanted to take you down, I would have by now. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Liz just has a, in at, on her computer at home, she has a folder <laughs> of every single person with incriminating stuff, and she's like, cross me once, see what happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fool me once. Shame on me. <laughs> Fool me twice. Open in the folder. <laughs> Got the receipts. I'm sorry if we seem a little crazy. We're recording two episodes in one day, and I've had so much 
caffeine today. I think I had like we had green tea, and now we're on to black tea. Oh no! But mm-hmm. let me give you the caffeine run out of the day. Oh god! So before I left my house, I had two cups of coffee. Oh god! Then when I got to work, I had a white chocolate mocha with a, a quad shot I, and I, two pumps. She's gonna of have mocha. a heart attack. That sounds fantastic. This is Liz's last night on earth. And then in yes, between, and she's spending it with us. Oh, thanks, guys. In between two of my appointments, I had a can of Coca Cola. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then on my way here, I had a sparkling water, so nothing crazy. Um, but then when I got here, I had three cups of green tea during our last episode. Perfection. And I'm going to have at least two of this tea. Yeah. In case you haven't figured out by the title of the episode or the intro. Um, we, or the photo. Oh, true. <laughs> or the photo. We are talking about... Um, not only a very important topic in history, but a very controversial conspiracy topic in history as well. And since it is February and Black History Month, we wanted to make sure that we get this out there because while everyone knows who he is, everyone knows at least one of his speeches and what he was fighting for, you may not know all of the tea. So we thought we would spill some tea on Martin Luther King Jr. So in order to spill that tea on martin luther king jr we need some help and as usual we are spilling some august uncommon tea and if you guys really have listened to the last like 18 episodes and not been drinking august uncommon tea what's wrong with you get your life together get your life together karen it's literally like ten dollars a bag and it's a pretty it's a pretty hefty bag and it's delicious and you can get the samples for like three bucks which is totally worth it you can get a ton of cups from it if you don't believe us just just get some samples and then thank us later okay so this tea this week that we are drinking is called leather bound and that is a rich organic black tea with dark cocoa and caraway um so it's a bold rich buttery tea this may be my favorite tea that we've had so far from August Uncommon. It is it's delicious. Good. It's absolutely. We're drinking it with almond milk right now. Delicious. So good. Um, August Uncommon wants you to know that it tastes like a buttered pumpernickel, molasses, and semi-sweet chocolate. And it feels like a morning in an old library. Which is lovely. Which I like to think Martin Luther King Jr. spent many a morning in an old library preparing for speeches and rally and they give you 20 percent off your first order if you give them your email address so i don't know what you're doing but you need to be drinking august uncommon thank you all right kt are you ready i'm ready is everybody else ready because we are talking about the assassination of mlk jr good old dr martin luther king jr um so i am gonna go and give a little bit of a history lesson so buckle up kids <laughs> we're back in class and if you think that you've heard this before in history class i'm gonna go ahead and guarantee you that you heard like a really really watered down like happy version of the story and that's like wow then he died all right bye see you later so i'm gonna give some backstory into his life and who martin luther king was and then Liz and Renee are going to cover the other interesting conspiracy aspects of his death. So, let's begin. All right. Martin Luther King Jr. was born Michael Luther King Jr. in Atlanta, Georgia on January Wait. 15th. What? Did you say Michael? Yeah. I didn't know that. All right. I'm learning things already. 
<laughs> okay, continue. On January 15th, 1929, to Martin Luther King Sr. and Alberta Williams King. Martin's family was considered an upper-middle-class family. Both of his parents were college-educated, and King's father was a Baptist preacher at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. The King family lived on Auburn Avenue, a.k.a. Sweet Auburn District, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. also known as Black Wall Street, where a lot of prominent um, African-American leaders and uh, really important people lived at the time. It was just, it was a different area back then. Like, mm-hmm. even, I mean, it even is now. Like, the Sweet Auburn District is still a really, really awesome part of Atlanta. Um, True. Yeah. So kind of has the same flow to it. Um, so King grew up in the South where he experienced racism and prejudice at a very early age. When he was six, one of his white friends told him they couldn't play together anymore because they went to segregated schools. Um, I'm going to fast forward from that, but that's just one instance of how he kind of dealt with, you know, racism in the South and mm-hmm. how it was. And this is going to lead up to why he became the most influential person part of the civil rights movement. Yeah, this was before Atlanta was the city too busy to hate. Exactly. (laughs) After graduating high school at the age of 15, King attended Morehouse College where he received a BA degree in 1948. After Morehouse, King went on to Pennsylvania and attended Crozier Theological Seminar. And King left Pennsylvania in 1951, and began a doctoral studies in theology at Boston University. It was his time in Boston that he met his future wife, Coretta Scott. And on June 18, 1953, King and Scott got married in Marion, Alabama, where Coretta's family lived. In 1954, while living in Montgomery, Alabama, King became the pastor of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, and the following year began King's start of being the civil rights leader. On December 1, 1955, This is a monumental time in history and kind of began the whole movement of where King wanted to go. It is when Rosa Parks refused to give her seat up to a white man on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama. She was, of course, arrested, and this began the Montgomery bus boycott. Because King kind of uh, took leadership of starting the whole Montgomery bus boycott, he was picked to be the leader of the Montgomery Improvement Association, MIA, by black leaders such as Joanne Robinson, Edie Nixon, and Ralph Abernathy, which, hey, Atlanteans. I know. Mm, come on. Hey. These names. We know these names. They're all from, <laughs> they're all in Atlanta now. They all have, uh, uh, they they all all have roads. Yes, they do. King was an advocate of Gandhi and his use of being nonviolent. And, That's uh, cool. and in my other podcast, I went over Bertrand Russell, who was the guy who got King into nonviolent protest and Gandhi. Mm. I don't know if I mentioned him. Mm. My other podcast, Out of History Podcast, listen on Spotify. Yeah, hello. If you're not listening, what are you doing? And after the U.S. Supreme Court outlawed Alabama bus segregation in 1956, King wanted to expand the nonviolent civil rights movement throughout the South. Uh, He formed the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, SCLC, in 1957 with C.K. Still, Fred Shuttlesworth, and T.J. Jimson. The SCLC helped pave the way for the civil rights movement across the South. King, at that point, began to attract attention as he climbed up the ladder of being a well-known person in this movement. Ten years before uh, Martin Luther King was actually assassinated, he, uh, you know, uh, people tried every which way to kind of take him out. His house was bombed a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. Um, And somebody... Ricks thrown in windows. Yes. And 
Someone of the name of Isola Ware Curry actually stabbed King with a letter opener. And this actually caused King to have to postpone protests because he had to recover from this. Jesus. So this is in 1958 when, I mean, his, his the movement hadn't even, like, been that big at that time. It was yeah. just slowly growing. And someone at that point was just like, all right, nope. A letter opener of all things. You have the audacity to think people deserve rights? How dare you? <laughs> right? So Martin Luther King Jr. really, really um, took to Gandhi's nonviolent movement. And in 1959, he actually took a trip to India um, with his wife and some other leaders. And from this trip, he wrote, I left India more convinced than ever before that nonviolent resistance is the most potent weapon available to oppressed people in their struggle for freedom. Which I believe is very true. You don't yes. have to be all violent and like looting and throwing shit and rioting and everything. Like just peace, honestly, I think has more has a louder volume. Yes. I'm more of a Malcolm X person. Same. Peace only works if the other side is civil. Yeah, See? if both people are peaceful, then I feel like it speaks louder than actions. But if the other side is just not being fair. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, fuck. Shove a fucking flower in their gun and tell them to shut up. I saw the opening to watch <laughs> to Watchmen, the movie. They'll still shoot you, but they're. I I think I think there's room for both. I think there's yeah, room for peaceful for sure. protest. Yeah, I think peaceful protest sure. is definitely like what you should aim for in the beginning. We but we don't always have to, to go straight to. They're threatening us. Bomb them! Like, oh, no. straight to. Oh no. no, no. I'm talking about. Well, I can't palm anybody, but if somebody tries to attack me. I will attack them back. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not sitting there and saying, like, hmm, sit back while somebody's just rummaging through your house and holding a gun up to your head. Like, no. But there's also, I mean, there was something to be said for the peaceful protest. Like, right. I don't know if y'all have seen the photos, but they actually, a lot of African Americans would sit through, like, these classes where other people would, like, pull their hair or yell at them or try and shove mm. them. And that was basically like training them to do the sit-ins they did right. at white-only restaurants because by being passive and like not fighting back, it was kind of like showing that they had a right to be there. Right. So I think there's room for both. I'm just more of a Malcolm X person I because I, I have it. a lot of anger in my soul. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as good of a person as MLK. All right. I don't know. You know, nobody. I don't I'm not even as good of a point. person as Malcolm X was. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Um, in 1960, King and his family moved from Alabama to Atlanta to be closer to the SCLC headquarters. The Southern Civil Rights Movement gained more attention after the student-led lunch counter sit-in movement, like Renee just said. Um, from these student-led sit-ins, King met, um, uh, or King got to know some students at this time, such as John Lewis, James yes. Bevel, and Diane Nash. And during one of these student-initiated protests, King was actually arrested, and this arrest got the attention of John F. Kennedy. Yes. Who called Coretta (laughs) after King got arrested. He um, went on to – he was basically just kind of telling Coretta that he was becoming concerned with, like, the fact Mm -hmm. that, okay, he's getting more attention. Like, things are starting to happen. Like – I just want you to know that I'm also on your side, but also, Mm -hmm. like, I'm a little worried. Like, King went on to involve himself with other protests and movements throughout the South, but the biggest movement was about to take place in Birmingham, Alabama. So, now we're going to move to 1963, 
Birmingham demonstrations became the most massive civil rights protest that occurred at the time. Fred Shuttlesworth, along with other black leaders, assisted King in making the Birmingham protests so big they reached national attention, something that had not yet taken place. So this was being televised at this point where Mm -hmm. people were actually witnessing all of the Southern segregation and the racial tension and the violence that was happening. Yes. On April 12th, 1963, King was arrested after leading a demonstration in Birmingham. And this arrest once again caught the attention of President John F. Kennedy. The Kennedy administration had come up with some civil rights legislation since the demonstrations in Birmingham were being televised. People all around the country were witnessing the brutality of the Birmingham police and the forces and measures they were using during these protests, such as using dogs and fire hoses on young people who were just peacefully protesting and Mm -hmm. demonstrating. Yes. And I'm sure y'all all know that when King got arrested in Birmingham... Um, that's when he wrote his letters from Birmingham jail. Oh, which are so good. So good. They're so good. Everybody needs to definitely read them. They were on display in the Museum of Human Rights. I took my son to that museum, the Center for Human Rights Museum. Yeah. Last year. fantastic. Um, it's so good. It was really awesome. Was it, I think during February, they actually do. That's when we went. It was free. Yeah. Yeah. It was free and it was like, it was really awesome because it was just him and I Mm -hmm. and it was a really cool experience. Like he, I mean, he asked so many questions, like he read so much, like he, he was really interested and like really into all this history and stuff that he learned about from everything that happened. Mm -hmm. And if the line for this, the lunch counter thing hadn't been so long like we would because like you get to sit and like you put the headphones on and you hear like the things that they were being like told like the things that people were saying to them the Mm -hmm. stuff that was happening to them and everything else about it Ugh, it's an amazing 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 museum i got really emotional walking Mm -hmm. through it on wednesday august 28th 1963 king gave his famous I have a dream speech during the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. More than 200,000 people showed up and came to demonstrate alongside King and other prominent African-American leaders. The purpose of the march was to advocate advocate for the civil and economic rights of African-Americans. The march helped pass the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and helped with the Salem Voting Rights Movement, Mm -hmm. which led to the passing of the Voting Rights Act of 1965, which... That the Voting Rights Act prohibited racial discrimination of voters. And if you're curious, the Voting Acts, the Voting Rights Act isn't actually in use right now. Yep. It got struck down by the Supreme Court. What year is this? Hi, hello, friends. Hi, hello. If you are not registered to vote, please vote. Stop listening. Okay, I'm sorry. No. Turn the volume down. Keep the streaming going and go register to vote. Yeah, it only takes a few moments. Is the dead, didn't the deadline pass, I thought? No, for no. Georgia, it's uh-uh. like October. Yeah. Yeah, for oh. Georgia, it's October. Why but please check your deadlines. Deadline for reg- yeah, for, for real, check your deadlines. No, for real, check your deadlines, whatever state you're in. It takes literally two minutes. And, you know, might not be, oh, it's the president, they're only there four years. Mm, or eight years. No, it's very important. No, they, we, they institute judges, not just Supreme Court judges, but other federal judge positions that are there for life. So please vote. So the march went on from the Washington Monument to the Lincoln Memorial. Speakers of the march were A. Philip Randolph, 
Walter Ruther, Roy Wilkins, John Lewis, Daisy Bates, Dr. Eugene Carson Blake, Floyd McKiskey, Whitney Young, and Martin Luther King Jr. Joan Baez and Bob Dylan were among some of the performers that sang at the march. After the march, leaders of the march marched on to the White House to meet with President Kennedy to discuss civil rights legislation. And Kennedy had actually, before they got to the White House, watched Dr. King and his I Have, the, I Have a Dream speech, and it really moved him. Like, Why wouldn't it? It's wonderful. Kennedy and MLK were like, they could have done so many great things. Um, there are quite a few people who speculate that the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act of 64 were both kind of consolations. Like, mm-hmm. ooh, Kennedy died. This kind of sucks. Let's do something positive in his memory. Maybe I shouldn't have fucking killed Kennedy, but that's another story for another day. Dun, 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 dun. So you would think that this <laughs> wonderful march that happened that, you know, caught so many people's attention and, like, people were very impacted all over the country by this would have maybe impacted the racist South a little bit more. But less than a month after the march on September 15th, 1963... Um, probably one of the most horrible incidences that had happened in Birmingham at that time happened at the 16th Street Baptist Church. Um, in an act of ra- racial tension, someone planted a bomb in the church, which in turn blew up the church and killed four young girls. King gave a eulogy at three of the four victims' funerals saying this, They say to us that we must be concerned not merely about who murdered them, but about the system, the way of life, and the philosophy which produced the murderers, Mm -hmm. which is so true. Mm -hmm. It is not, you cannot solely blame somebody for who they are and why they do the things that they do. You need to actually look into where they came from and the people that taught him the ways of what they do. Exactly. With all that King had done and accomplished at this time in his life, King became one of the most influential African-American spokespersons for the first half of the 1960s. He became Time Magazine's Man of the Year in 1963, and in 1964, he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. But, of course, we all know from so much notoriety comes people of power who want to destroy people and their good reputation. And from this, we begin the FBI and J. Edgar Hoover's investigation into King and his life, which Renee, I believe, is going to give you... Talk a little bit more about... More of... Ugly the Hoover. <laughs> the bullshit they pulled. Um, and, you know, Honestly. King's phone's being tapped it. and bugged. But also this was with the approval of President Kennedy and the attorney general that was Robert Kennedy. Like, yep. Come on. Come on, Kennedys. Wah! Wah! You're doing so good. Wah! Um, they tried to link King to militant African-American groups at the time, but he had no direct ties to any of them. And they tried to link him to communi- communism, too. Right. But, unfortunately, he wasn't a communist. <laughs> like someone else they're trying to link to communism. <laughs> Ooh, I love that little snip in the debate. I'm sorry, I know we're trying to stay on track, but I love no. that snip where Bloomberg tried to be like, well, oh, communism. And Sanders was like, no, <laughs> do not bring communism into exactly. this. Exactly. You know it's not. Mm-hmm. We're talking about democratic yes. socialism, you know which loved? works in every single Western country. We proved that burn is in great health. You know, yes. he's not my number one pick. He's my number two pick. But he got real riled up and he didn't have a heart attack. <laughs> oh, he holds on to that fucking podium, though. Like, well, nobody's I would business. Too. He's like, 
That was me in speech class, and I'm perfectly fine. I just love watching his face when everybody else is talking, and he's like this. <laughs> yeah, he's ready. He's like a Tony Hawk. I fucking like, video love game. him. I, love, I was gonna say I love him because it was like choose your fighter. <laughs> I know, and it's always just burning like. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about, though, with the Tony Hawk skateboarding game? Yes. Where they're holding the skateboard and they're just doing this while you pick their clothes out? Mm-hmm. That was Bernie Sanders. <laughs> He's so cool. He doesn't even know it. He's so cool. So then we fast forward to March 7th, 1965, in which that was the march from Selma to Montgomery. Mm-hmm. This march came from a lot of tension still strong in Alabama in the South. The police were ordered by Governor Wallace to use tear gas and clubs on black marchers after crossing the Edmund Pettus Bridge outside of Sel- uh, Selma. And this was Governor George Wallace, mm-hmm. famous segregationist and racist asshole. So that day, the march unfortunately did not continue um, because King was not prepared for the attacks against the demonstrators and himself, and he did not want to continue with the violence. So... Um, the march was postponed. King's way of being peaceful and nonviolent was slowly starting to garner more attention from black militant groups who didn't want to use the nonviolent approach. People started to look toward activists like Malcolm X, but King never steered away from his nonviolent ways. In 1966, members of the SNCC tested a new slogan while marching the term Black Power, which was chanted throughout the march. A slogan that King himself objected to using. King said black power advocates were to be the most revolutionary wing of the social revolution taking place in the United States. Um, But he did notice they addressed a psychological need among African Americans he had not addressed. So he did notice and understand that some of these black militant groups that were kind of going against his nonviolent approach were reaching people that he could not reach mm-hmm. necessarily for sure. which is a i mean i think that's a pretty big thing for someone who realizes how much of a leader that they are to notice that even though he doesn't agree with what other groups are doing they're still doing good but in a different right. way mm-hmm. and reaching people he can't he recognizes that like his approach isn't the approach for everyone but mm-hmm. they're like fighting the same right. fight and that is something that like people don't ever think about or learn about is like the different black leaders of the civil rights movement and their different approaches and how every single black person found a home in one of them. Like no matter what kind of a person you are or whatever fight you had or whatever side you were on, like every single black person had like a safe person to look up to. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't heard of this film or seen the film, uh, it's called I am not your Negro. I would highly recommend. I saw it a couple years ago when it came out. I think it was a Sundance movie. Okay. Um, I think it's on Amazon prime now though, but it really goes into like their different approaches during Mm -hmm. the time. And it's also like, different ways that the white media was like making black people look like animals mm-hmm. and like obviously just like totally like ripping the, the black agenda in quotes apart <laughs> yeah and it's just like it's really 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 good so i recommend highly watching okay. it so yes king had a lot of different followers um some of his followers did not stand by his whole nonviolent approach, and this showed true during the Memphis sanitation workers' strike. Um, during this strike, this was actually where 
some of the demonstrators who were younger began looting and throwing rocks as King and others marched into downtown Memphis. And so the Memphis sanitation workers strike was part of the poor people's campaign movement that King was trying to touch base on in Memphis. It was once again, a pretty televised and public event where, um, people were able to witness what was happening. Mm -hmm. And because of the violence that was happening during this time, and he was, you know, trying to, to reach towards an anti-poverty movement, um, people were kind of judging him and kind of like criticizing him at that point, like judging his demonstrators, the people who yes. followed him. Like People protesting are only vindicated in the future. Like, well, it was more so because they were trying to say that the people who were poor and in poverty look, they're, they're bad people. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're doing, oh, yeah. they're throwing shit. They're causing like a ruckus when they shouldn't be Why doing it. Why are like, they so angry? Why can't they just be happy right. about their current state? So it was, it was during King's stay in Memphis where unfortunately his life ended. And on April 4th, 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated at the age of 39 while he stood on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel in Memphis. James Earl Ray, a white segregationist, was later convicted of the crime. But was he really the mastermind behind the murder of such a powerful leader in our country at that time? Let's discuss. Okay. So, um, I want to speak about King's final trip um, and just kind of like all the things leading up to Renee's Conspiracy Corner that you'll hear about. Ready in Conspiracy Corner. So, this week I got the lovely, lovely task of... Uh, telling you guys the sad part so buckle up hashtag you're welcome <laughs> hashtag blessed okay <laughs> on april 3rd king addressed a rally and delivered his i've been to the mountaintop address at mason temple the world headquarters of the church of god in christ um if you've never heard that speech it's probably it's really great it's underrated it's one of my favorites yeah. it's not my favorite so look it up Um, King's flight to Memphis had been delayed by a bomb threat against his plane. In the prophetic peroration of the last speech of his life, in reference to the bomb threat, King said the following, And then I got to Memphis, and some began to say the threats, or talk about the threats that were out. What would happen to me from some of our sick white brothers? Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it doesn't matter with me now, because I've been to the mountaintop, and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will, and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And if any part of that sounded familiar, you will notice that we use clips from that in our ending theme song. Oh, yeah, duh. I was listening and I was like, oh, yeah, that's from our ending theme song. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Sean. Wow. 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 So King was booked in room 306 at the Lorraine Motel, who was owned by Walter Bailey, who was present at the assassination, testified to the U.S. House Select Committee on Assassinations, which, by the way, until this episode, I did not know that that was a committee. Mm -hmm. The United States House Select Committee on Assassinations. Yeah. I mean, they just sit and discuss assassinations. Mm. Yeah, because they had to figure out who did it. They have to figure uh, out who they can use to do it. They have to figure out 
How do we make people believe the FBI didn't do kind this? Kind of sounds like Area 51 and aliens. The yeah. United States House Select <laughs> Committee on Hiding Aliens. Yes. <laughs> the United States House Select Committee on Jeffrey Epstein. They need a whole committee for him now. <laughs> They're like, we have to stop the youths. The memes are out of control. <laughs> They're figuring it out, everybody. Kill someone else. Hurry. Oh, my God. Anywho. <laughs> um, so the owner of the hotel, Walter Bailey, um, he testified that King and his entourage stayed at room 306 so often that it was known as the King Abernathy Suite. According to Jesse Jackson, who was also present, King's last words on the balcony before his assassination were spoken to musician Ben Branch, who was scheduled to perform that night at an event King was attending. Ben, make sure you play Take My Hand, Precious Lord, in the meeting tonight. Play it real pretty. King was fatally shot by James Earl Ray at 6.01 p.m. April 4, 1968, as he stood on the motel's second floor balcony. The bullet entered through his right cheek, smashing his jaw, then traveled down his spinal cord before lodging in his shoulder. Abernathy heard the shot from inside the motel room and ran to the balcony to find King on the floor. Jackson stated that after the shooting, he cradled King's head as King lay on the balcony, but this account was disputed by other colleagues of King. Jackson later changed his statement to say that he had reached out for King. So... I don't know why I felt like that was interesting, but I was like, why would he lie about, like, yeah. hugging someone in death? I guess like, to make himself look better. Selfish. Yeah. This is not about you, it's Jesse Jackson. You. After emergency chest surgery, King died at St. Joseph's Hospital at 7.05 p.m. According to biographer Taylor Branch, King's autopsy revealed that, though only 39 years old, he had the heart of a 60-year-old which Branch attributed to the stress of 13 years in the civil rights movement. Um, King is buried within Martin Luther King Jr. National Historical Park. In Atlanta, Georgia. I don't know why we're celebrating that, but hey, man, at least he's here. Yeah, where he wanted to be. Exactly. So um, now that we have given you the facts, while the facts have been sad, what we are about to go over is uh, Renee's Conspiracy Corner. I hope you're ready for a fun conspiracy. Renee's Conspiracy Corner. Dun, dun, dun. Thank you. Ooh, that sounds like 2020. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So, for over 50 years, the federal government has maintained that James Earl Ray is the person who assassinated King on April 4th, 1968. The lie detector test has determined that was a lie. So, the King family (laughs) has always disputed this. Um, Within a few days of confessing... Ray began to claim his innocence, arguing he'd been set up by a man he know he knew only as Raul. It was Raul, Ray said, who had directed him to buy the gun and the binoculars and rent the room across the street from the motel. Ray said he wasn't in the room when King was shot, but he was unable to consistently explain where he had been or keep other important details in his story straight. Also, Many people have trouble believing James Earl Ray could have arranged his international escape all by himself. Exactly. Since he had a track record of getting caught for more minor crimes. When authorities caught him in London, he'd been planning a trip to Rhodesia, a former African state ruled by a white minority in present-day Zimbabwe. 
Mm-hmm. So, if James Earl Ray wasn't acting by himself, what else could have possibly happened? I'm glad that you asked, straw man. <laughs> In 1993, <laughs> Lloyd Jowers, it's, j- I'm going to say Jowers. Jowls. <laughs> Giles. Lord of Jowls. Lord of the Jowls. <laughs> And it's Lloyd with one L, which makes me very Lord, uncomfortable. Like Lloyd. Yeah, it's only got one L. It makes me uncomfortable. I don't like it. So in 1993, Lloyd Jowers appeared on the ABC News program Primetime Live. He claimed that he'd been paid $100,000 by local mobster Frank Liber- Liberto sure, to help organize the assassination of MLK in 1968. Jowers ran a coffee shop on the first floor of the rooming house where King was allegedly shot by James Earl Ray. So mm. where Ray was staying at the time. So he named Memphis Police Department officer Lieutenant Earl Clark as Dr. King's assassin, according to a transcript of the press conference he did. Mm. Uh-huh. Um, during the trial, which in 1993, basically he came out and said this and said he'd been holding on to it, but he was ready to admit. And then in 1998, the King family brought a civil suit against him. The amount uh, due was $100 because for them, it was much more of a symbolic thing rather than actually trying to bring a case against this guy. They were more trying to be like, see, we've been right. Like, this was absolutely a conspiracy. So during the trial, the U.S. Justice Department painstakingly attempted to dismantle Jower's claims and the mountain of evidence presented in the Memphis trial. Um, So throughout the whole thing, he insisted that he was involved with the mafia. They gave him the money to hire an assassin and assured him the police would not be at the scene of the shooting. He also reported he hired a hitman to shoot Dr. King from behind Jim's grill, which was right near there, and received the murder weapon from someone with a name sounding something like Raul. Oh. Jowers further maintained Ray did not shoot Dr. King, and he didn't believe Ray knowingly participated in the conspiracy. So after four weeks of testimony in which Jowers did not actually testify since it was a civil trial, but over 70 witnesses did testify. Um, 12 jurors of white men reached a unanimous verdict on December 8th, 1999, after about an hour of deliberation that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated as a result of a conspiracy. In a press statement held the following day in Atlanta, Miss Coretta Scott King welcomed the verdict, saying there is abundant evidence of a major high-level conspiracy in the assassination of my husband, Martin Luther King Jr., and the civil court's unanimous verdict has validated our belief. I wholeheartedly applaud the verdict of the jury, and I feel that justice has been well served in their deliberations. This verdict is not only a great victory for my family, but also a great victory for America. The jury was clearly convinced by the extensive evidence that was presented during the trial that, in addition to Mr. Jowers, the conspiracy of the mafia, local, state, and federal government agencies were deeply involved in the assassination of my husband. She goes on, I want to make clear that my family has no interest in retribution. Instead, our sole concern has been that the full truth of the assassination has been revealed and educated in a court of law. My husband once said, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Today, almost 32 years after my husband and the father of my four children was assassinated, 
I feel that the jury's verdict clearly affirms this principle. With this faith, we can begin the 21st century and the new millennium with a new spirit of hope and healing. And you can find her comments in addition to other ones by her son on the King Center website. Why would the King family believe there was a conspiracy in the first place? Isn't it a lot easier to believe that a white supremacist would kill Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? Mm -hmm. Not if someone as powerful as MLK mm -hmm. is actually having making shit happen. Yep. And they don't want that shit to happen. You can't make an impression in America. So why would they, Renee? Let's go into it. <laughs> so it probably has something to do with the fact that the FBI was obsessed with King and frequently tailed him, bugged his rooms, and recorded his phone conversations. J. Edgar Hoover, in particular, did his utmost, utmost best to make King's life difficult. He was hoping to prove that uh, Dr. King was under the influence of communists, so the FBI kept him under constant surveillance. And it's very strange because the actual, like, hidden tapes they have are locked away until 2027. So in seven years, we'll figure out what they actually recorded. What? Is it, like, in a time capsule? It's, um, it's like a, a legal thing. There's something about them that has them so they won't be released until 2027. What's going to happen when they release them, though? You're like, going to hear a lot about the, the affairs are we, Dr. Though, King had. Or... Mm -hmm. I believe it. Because he did have, I mean... Well, I mean, we know. I mean, yes. I and that's got basically that, what's wrong. But, like... <laughs> it's going to be underwhelming. Just prepare to be underwhelmed in seven years if, we're, if we haven't nuked ourselves to death by then. Anyways, uh, the hidden tape recorders... <laughs> and Liz is going into her deep dark hole. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Liz, just calm down, okay? We'll take it I, back to Conspiracy I Corner. I don't have any more uh, talk space points left, okay? My... <laughs> Electronic therapist time has run out. You're going to have to down. switch to calm. Probably. Um, so the agency's hidden tape recorders turned up almost nothing about communism, which is what they were mostly searching for. But they did reveal embarrassing details about his sex life. Um, we but get thirsty. Yeah. I mean, the FBI immediately tried to use it against him, though. Um, the almost fanatical zeal with which the FBI pursued him is disclosed in tens of thousands of FBI memos from the 1960s. And this paper trail spells out in detail the government agency's concerted efforts to derail King on behalf of the civil rights movement. And the FBI's interest in King intensified after the March on Washington, which Katie talked about, where King delivered his absolutely famous I Have a Dream speech. Um, after the speech, an FBI memo called King the most dangerous and effective Negro leader in the country. How is anything that he was doing at the time dangerous? Let How? I mean, first of all, did they not know who Malcolm X was? Second, oh, right. <laughs> second of all, um, I'm just glad they used Negro so that I yeah. could say the quote. And I still don't feel wholly comfortable saying it. Nope. Um, the Bureau convened a meeting of department heads to explore how best to carry on their investigation of him to produce their desired results without embarrassment in the Bureau, basically wanting to make him look bad without evidence. So I'm sorry, was he dangerous because he was trying to actually have like be the voice of people who didn't have a voice at that time? Yeah, he was like a, that's what they were saying was yeah, dangerous because he was a danger to people the status quo. at a right. They wanted to keep those people at the level of where they were at. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever said J. Edgar Hoover was a rational man, Katie. Honestly. I mean. So the, the FBI began secretly tracking King's flights and watching his associates. Maybe so they could one day call in a fake bomb threat. Mm -hmm. Who knows? 
In July 1963, a month before the March on Washington, uh, J. Edgar Hoover filed a request with Attorney General Robert Kennedy to tap King's and his associates' phones and to bug their homes and offices. And we all know that JFK was like a phone-tapping extraordinary. Oh, this was other Kennedy. This was Bobby Kennedy. This is Bobby. Yeah, but the Kennedys were the phone-tappers. Yes. The well, they had to be because they had shit that they had to cover up themselves. Exactly. So they had to tap everybody. I mean, once again, Marilyn Monroe. Mm. Come on. You know how many phone conversations they probably listened to? Oh, they released them on that Marilyn Monroe podcast that they have now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a deep dive into the her death oh really it's really good Ooh, yeah i would listen to that it's a podcast network one i think i love podcasts. me too podcast grab us Gra- grab take me us. <laughs> take us um in september kennedy good old bobby kennedy who was also fighting alongside king at this point consented to the surveillance he gave them permission to break into king's office and install the bugs as long as agents recognized the delicacy of this particular matter and didn't get caught installing them Hoover's contempt for King's private behavior is clear in the memos he kept in his personal files. His scrawl across the bottom of positive news stories about King's success dripped with loathing. Mm. On a story about King receiving the St. Francis Peace Medal from the Catholic Church, he wrote, This is disgusting. On a story about King's meeting with the Pope, I am amazed that the Pope gave an audience to such a degenerate. What? Yes. And on a story about King being the heavy favorite to win the Nobel Peace Prize, he wrote, King could well qualify for a top alley cat prize. Mm -mm -mm. When King learned he would be the recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize in 1964, the FBI decided to take its harassment of him one step further, sending him an insulting and threatening note anonymously. A draft was found in the FBI files years later. In it, the FBI wrote, you are a colossal fraud and an evil, vicious one at that. The American public will know you for what you are, an evil, abnormal beast, and Satan could not do more. What? The letters was ominous, if, if not specific. King, you are done. But, like, what did he ever do to anyone that wasn't promoting love? Exactly. Exactly. Just so, love. Some have theorized the intent of the letter was to drive King to commit suicide in order to avoid personal embarrassment. Um, it went on, King, there is only one thing left for you to do. You know what it is. You better take it before your filthy, abnormal, fraudulent self is bared to the nation. And if you're thinking to yourself, oh, sure, the FBI didn't like King, but there's no way, you know, to prove that they would have done something like this. I have two words for you. Fred Hampton. And if you're not familiar with who Fred Hampton is, he was a leader in the Black Panther Party during the 60s. And in 1969, the FBI was determined to prevent the Black Panther Party from advancing in the country. And they set up an arms raid on Fred Hampton's Chicago apartment. (gasps) A 14-man team was organized for a pre-dawn raid with a special warrant for illegal weapons. And they burst into his house without knocking, without anything, bust into the bedroom where Fred Hampton was sleeping on a mattress with his fiance, who was nine months pregnant with his child. She was forcibly removed from the room by police officers while he 
he was still asleep. And then they fired at the head of the bedroom. Wow. What? Yeah. The shots were fired point blank at his head. And then his body was dragged into the doorway of the bedroom and left in a pool of blood. And this was done by the FBI, which we know because after a certain amount of time, they have to release their documents. So the FBI is willing to do that to kill a 21-year-old man in his own house and fabricate a reason for doing Uh so. And you think they're not going to set up somebody to kill someone they clearly detest this much? Exactly. Look, there's a lot of, because of the presidents we have now, a lot of white liberals are really jumping on the FBI and CIA train where it's like, oh, trust the FBI. The FBI are doing great. We need to FBI, CIA. They're on our side. Not on your side. Never Never on on your side. side. They're never on anyone's side but the elite. Exactly. If you are not in the elite, they are not on your side. Just, like, repeat that to yourself when you wake up in the morning. (laughs) The FBI is not on my side. Good morning. Before you kiss your spouse, before you feed your cats, the FBI is not on your side. Yes. Well, then. So, yes. So, we do have... Do we have clear-cut evidence that the FBI did this in my opinion not yes. in my opinion yes we do have evidence that a jury of white men were convinced there was a conspiracy mm-hmm. and the king family feels vindicated by the fact that this conspiracy has if not necessarily proven there's definitely like we know it happened Anyways, yeah. heavy stuff good times heavy heavy and so we can end this on a positive note i'm gonna switch it over to katie to talk about the amazing Coretta Scott King. So now that everybody's all riled up, woo! Let's bring it down a notch. Let's bring it, bring it down, bring it down. Just, just, just a tail. Right. Um, and let's talk about mm, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s wife. Amazing woman that she was, Coretta Scott King, and the way that she very quickly carried on her husband's legacy after mm-hmm. he was he was killed. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, mm-hmm. She, when uh, Dr. King was alive, she was considered the first lady of the civil rights movement, which I think is amazing. Like, that's such a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Like, first lady of the civil rights movement. Um, and after his death, people turned to her and the time, this time of darkness. Just four days after her husband's death, Coretta, with three of her four children by her side, led the march in Memphis her husband couldn't finish due to the the violent clash with the authorities at the time mm-hmm. because she wanted to see the march till the end it was it was the right way to carry on her husband's legacy and the work he had done for so many others during his life um she was not just an activist after his death she was one before even meeting him during the summer of 1968, Coretta gave a speech to some 500,000 people at the Lincoln Memorial to preach about racism, poverty, and the Vietnam War. All of this was connected to the Poor People's Campaign, which her husband was a part of in Memphis, and where the march with sanitation workers stemmed from. Coretta lobbied Congress to reject cuts in welfare spending and advocated a full employment bill and guaranteed annual income. She also joined the campaign against the apartheid in South Africa. Coretta was a force of nature with and without her husband. She was seen as the voice behind Dr. King. And throughout their time together, even before they got married, before they were even, like, 
engaged living together they wrote love letters between each other that Mm -hmm. show how true she was to not only being someone who strongly believed in some of the same stuff that uh martin luther king jr believed in um but she she kind of denied him before they even got together which i think is like Mm. super like in their letter he kind of like wrote to her um, one of the letters was basically like asking her why she was like <laughs> not wanting to be with him and like yeah. and and that she she was such a powerful woman and she married a powerful man and together I think they both did amazing magical things. Yes. Um she carried on his legacy in Atlanta. Um we have the King Memorial Center. Mm-hmm. You can go and read all about Dr. Martin Luther King and his life. You can go to Auburn Avenue and actually visit his home where he was yeah. born. I mean, he was born yeah, in that house. Yeah. Him, yeah. Um, yeah. And like we said earlier, you can check out the Center for Human and Civil Rights mm-hmm. Museum and you can see so many different, uh, read so many different stories from the civil rights era and read his letters uh his letter from the birmingham jail Mm -hmm. read his letters other letters that he wrote um he was just a powerful powerful man yes that his everything about him still resonates to this day he was what the world (sighs) needed he was in america in the right place in the right time yes and the world well america and the world are both better for dark Dr. Martin Luther King and Coretta Scott King being in it. And you have to think, too, that they were both born at the the beginning of the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. Yep. They both were born in, like, these, the harshest of times in our economy in Mm -hmm. the United States. And they overcame that and then continued to overcome so much. They were both living and grew up in the South, which at that time was full of just racism out of the fucking... Terrible racism. Like... awful and they rose above it and did so much to change it Mm -hmm. we're still unfortunately though suffering through that racism in the south because south still thinks it's (laughs) 1800s or some shit who knows i don't know it's fine the moral arc of the universe is long but it bends towards justice yeah let's hope so fun conspiracies i love it we love renee and her conspiracies see can i can I get like, like, some uh, some apologies for doubting my conspiracyness? Excuse me. Um, can I get what? some apologies? I never, then I can ever rant and rave it. when you when we do our conspiracies on nine eleven. Oh God! Oh, it always comes back to that. <laughs> it, always, it always does. It always just, no, does. I love I love conspiracies. I just uh, lose interest. And anytime Alex Jones says something about a conspiracy, I'm like, oh, all right. Well, if Alex Jones is saying it, then it didn't happen. Did you hear about the flat earther guy man. who flung his rocket into space and, and exploded and he died? Oh, well, all right. That's that's a Darwin Sounds Award. Sounds like natural okay. selection. Yes. Yeah, Darwin Award winner for this year. <laughs> Goodbye. Or last year, whenever it was. Well, guys, I um, I know that we all really appreciate you listening. And um, if you're a white person listening to this, be better. Encourage your friends to be better. Encourage people you don't know to be better. Mm-hmm. If you're a black person listening to this, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a listener to this podcast, 
Thank you. That's true. Yeah. I'll thank you guys anyway. Very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, March 1st, thank you, everyone. Yes. February, whatever you listen to this date at, thank you, black people. Yeah. I didn't say anything. I giggled. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm on a caffeine, like, overdose right now. I don't know what's happening. All right. Before Katie vibrates out of her chair, please follow us on all the socials. They'll be in the descript, if I remember to put them in there. Um, shoot us an email at conspiritypod at gmail.com. If uh, you have any episode ideas or you just want to get to know us, we're all pretty nice. You should, you know, you should want to be friends with us. I mean, I think that I want to be friends with us. I go back and forth. Yeah. I'm just kidding. That's true. I'm just kidding. I love you guys. Well, and you guys uh, have a great rest of your week or beginning of your week or wherever you are. Wherever you are. I hope it's week. great. Yeah. Take a moment and think about what Dr. Martin Luther King did for this country. And listen to him. And then... You know, donate to the In ACLU. our intro. Or the NAACP. Yes. That too. Or Southern Poverty Law Center. There you go. There you go. There's... And on that note, we hope they have a wonderful week. And we'll see you guys next time. <gasps> Bye. Bye. Like anybody, I would like to live. I just want to do God's will. Just to go. But I want you to know the night.